Good morning. Happy Monday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. Okay. Coming off a pretty solid weekend. Um, better than expected, actually, so that's kind of cool. Um, but let's dig straight into today's Q&A. This is going to be a little something different. Um, we're not going to talk about training per se, um, but we're going to talk about self-regulation. So um, I, I had a conversation with Angkor, and we've talked to him before about some, some, some training things, but he brought up some really interesting questions. And we touched on this kind of stuff a little bit in the intensive in regards to energy management and productivity, how to get things done. And, and Angkor came at me with some, with some really good questions. We had a fun time. We actually went over a little bit. Um, on the on the 15 minute consult because it was we were just laughing and having a good time and enjoying each other and so um, I hope you guys enjoy this too find it productive maybe there's a there's a nugget in there um, that will be useful um, for you on how to prioritize things and again how to manage and regulate yourself if you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com askbillhartman at gmail.com Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so we don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Monday. Don't forget to go to the YouTube channel and get subscribed there. And I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Timer has started. What is your question, Ankur? So, Bill, how do you take the measured life decisions? And like, how do you approach your major life decisions? Like weighing in the pros and cons, calculated risk. How do you do it? Okay, so so the pros and cons thing doesn't work because it equates good and bad, and everything comes with its weight, and so you have to you have to take that into consideration as well. And so you could sit there and you could say, well, I'm going to draw a line down the middle of the paper, and then I'm going to list out all the good things that could happen, all the bad things that can happen. But again, like I said, they're not equivalent, and so you have to understand. Um, what the potential influences may be. You play out scenarios and then you make a decision. And I, I don't spend, like I'm, I dwell like everybody else does. I ruminate like everybody else does. But the best thing to do is to try to get things out of your head and then write it down. So, so that's like self-therapy. When you don't have somebody that you can talk to, and I have a, my wife is terrific as far as being the greatest listener in the entire world. She will let me talk endlessly if I would. Um, and, and so that's great to have a sounding board who can reflect things back to you and help you see where the weighted measures actually are. Um, but I don't spend a lot of time um, making the decision in and of itself because in most circumstances, as, as great as we can be as predicting, we're not good predictors, but as great as we are at determining what the consequences of our actions are, we don't know what's going to happen. And, and so we make the best choice that we can within a reasonable time frame. So, you know, a major decision, assuming you have accumulated the information that you need to make the decision, okay, so once you have accumulated the appropriate information, once you have weighted that information, then don't spend a lot of time making the decision. Because like I said, you don't know. And more time usually doesn't help. It just becomes these layers of second guessing. Yeah. And so you make the decision, you know, based on, on your weighted measures and then move forward. 
So it, it, I'll give you for instance. So, you know, we just moved uh, IFAST into another facility and that was a biggie. Like, like Mike and I went back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. We acquired as much information as we could. And then we said, best course of action is to make the change. And so there you go. And, and, you know, that scenario still plays out. So is it, uh, according to what you said and on the lines of what you say, as a physio and coach who is so immersed in your own technical craft, how do you take the financial decisions in your life? How do you manage finance? So what are your financial philosophies in life? Um, don't spend money. <laughs> don't buy, don't buy things. Like you'd be surprised. You would be surprised what you're capable of. Um, most people think that they need things that they don't need, or they want things that they don't need, right? The, 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 the thing you have to recognize is that the thing that drives people to, to spend on things is the desire to alleviate the discomfort of wanting it. And then once you have it, it just doesn't seem to be that big a deal anymore, right? It's like the dessert that you have after dinner that you regret. It's like prior to eating it, you're like, oh man, this is going to be so good. And then after you eat it, you go, oh, that was a bad idea, right? And, and so, you know, from a finance, and it took me a long time. It took me a long, long time. To I am, I'm a late bloomer on every aspect of my life because I was, I was an idiot for a long, long time. Okay. Cause I thought it was more important for me to like, I deserve this. I should have this. And then what you learn by, by gaining maturity is that, you know, I need like three things. I need, I need my office space that I live, I, I live like what you see on camera is where I live. I need my wife and I need my dog. And if I got that, I'm doing pretty good. And so, so I haven't wanted anything for, for a very long time. And so if, if you can get to that space very, very quickly and recognize the fact that you really don't need anything, um, then a lot of good things can happen financially because then you don't spend any money at all on anything other than that, those things that would be essential. And then next thing you know, things are getting pretty good. But it's, a, but, it, but it's a long-term process, right? It's a, it's a regular behavior, right? So um, when, when you have the urge to uh, spend and, and if there's a moment where you're questioning, should I get this or not? It's a no, mm. right? It's an absolute. It's like if there's a question in your mind as to whether you should be spending this money or not, that's that's your brain saying, uh, don't do it, right? And and that's you know one of those things that it took me a long time to learn. Rather than going well, and then it's like ah, oh, just <laughs> right. That's the mistake. That's the mistake. Like and and that goes for anything. That goes for anything. Like like whenever there's a question in your mind of of whether you should or shouldn't, don't. If you can wait, like if it's a life or death decision, then you got to do stuff, right? I get that. But on most of the decisions where time is not the factor, um, if there's the question mark in your head of whether you should or shouldn't, it's a no. Because you don't and deserve, you don't deserve anything. 
Yeah, that's, that's right. not people entitled to anything. Do. People think they do. They think they're entitled to certain things. They think they deserve certain things and you don't get anything. Trust me. And if you look at it like, like that, you're going to do really well. But understand it's a habit and it's a process. Like every time, every time money comes into your life, keep it. Yeah. And you being so immersed in your craft and like with a creative mind, but how do you detach that side of yours when you're supposed you're in a party and you're amongst people, you want to have a great time with people, but you're like observing people like, okay, his ER space is out. Okay, this is dorsal rostral compression. Like how do you switch off that side and like just live in the moment and enjoy? Because I've been going through this and like, like what? I, I just can't. Why answer. would I ever do that? <laughs> Why would I ever do that? <laughs> they, it, my, 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 I have a brother <clears throat> and uh, we'll be doing stuff and uh, he knows that what like he understands what I do and he knows that it doesn't turn off and so we'll be doing something and he'll point at somebody he goes he'll go what's wrong with that guy <laughs> so it's always on it's always on no but that but see that's okay because but that that's also it's it's not a bad sign it's not a bad sign it just means that that that's just part of what your, your strength is, right? It's mm. the stuff that interests you. It's the stuff that drives you. And, and it doesn't drive me crazy. Like, yes, I recognize that, but I also know where I am at the time. Right. And, and, and so I can buffer it, right. It doesn't have to come out. I have, I have a, I have a, a, a prefrontal cortex, that can step in and go, hey, um, just relax and have a good time. It's always going to be on, right? It's 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 just being aware. It's just yeah. part of the process. Like like and like I said, don't look at it as a bad thing, but but you should always be able to control it because <laughs> that's what you do. Well, it's like see it and then go, okay. But you're not oh. making a judgment on like you don't have to make a judgment on that person. But yes, you, maybe it made you one step better today. I'm okay with that. But I also understand where you are. It's like nobody else wants to talk about that. Yeah, and I, and one thing that I want to confess is that I don't watch your videos before going to bed because that makes me curious. So <laughs> I yeah. just watch coming like things which calm me down. Right, oh, and 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 that's a <clears throat> that's a that's a very intelligent strategy right you don't want to like so one of the ways that you get rid of those things like like let's just say that you do have a curiosity and and you are getting ready for bed and you go oh this is going to keep me up write it down get it out of your head onto a piece of paper do it manually do it manually so there's some effort behind it um Put it on a piece of paper so it becomes real and it's outside of your head because if it's in your head, all it does is it, it just recycles and recycles and recycles. Like I said, you know, at the beginning of the call, it's like, this is self-therapy. It's like when you write things down, that's you talking to yourself and then you can create the response that, that way, it, but, but it becomes real. And, and that's a very powerful process that's underutilized. Right. And how do you manage your anger or any negative emotion as such, or even stuff that you see on social media? Like you, if it boils your blood. I, so, 
I, I am on social media. I don't consume much of it at all because um, it's not helpful for me. It, it's just, a, it's, a, it's a time sucker. And so I, I try not to spend, I, I have a couple of things that I'll, that I'll go to on a, on a fairly regular basis. So I remain minimally informed. Um, it, I'm at the point in my career where consumption is not important to, to me. Mm. It's more about, about the, like I said, the creativity side of things, about putting the things together. So, so it helps me to do what I, what I need to do. But as far as like consumption, like I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go onto social media to learn anything important because um, I don't think anybody's offering anything for me right now. Um, maybe later, I don't know, maybe I'll change my tune. Um, or in life, in <clears throat> life in general. What do, you, what do you mean by in life in general? like anger, managing anger or something. Well, okay. like do, do you enjoy being angry? No. <laughs> Me neither. Me neither. So I, I, try to, <laughs> I try to avoid it, right? So I'm, I'm human. I'm human. You know, I have feelings that get hurt just like everybody else's. But, but the thing that, you, that you, you gain through becoming more aware of yourself is you know what your triggers are. Avoid those. Don't go where people make you angry. Don't listen to people that say things that make you angry. And then number one, above all else, words don't hurt. You decide whether they hurt, hmm. right? And so if somebody, I mean, I get, I get nasty DMs all the time. So... Like, how miserable do you need to be to send somebody a, an angry <laughs> DM, right? It's like, you know, it's like, you, you got to feel sorry for that guy. Um, no, but, but it's like, I don't want to be angry. I don't go where it makes me angry. Um, if I do, I just catch myself as quickly as possible. I go, is this really worth your time? Because I'm old and my time is limited. And I'm trying to maximize this to, to the best of my capabilities. Do I really want to spend time being angry? You know, um, my, my wife and I have been together for, I, I honestly, I don't know how long we've been together. I think it's 11 years or something like that. Um, <clears throat> it's really cool though, because she doesn't know how long we've been together either. So we're, we're perfect for each other. Um, but in, in all of that time, I've probably been, been angry with her less than five minutes in 11 years, right? And, and here's, here's why. I love her. I am going to spend eternity with her. Why would I waste a single moment being angry with somebody that I know I'm going to be with forever, right? So I, for, like, and again, I don't have to forgive her for much because we just don't have that kind of a relationship. But if I, if I would have to, it's like, that's instant forgiveness. Like she, she gets that from me because I decided that's how it's going to be. And so you have a lot of control. People think that they don't have control or they think they deserve to be angry or they think that they should be angry. And it's like, anger is to get your attention. Mm. Okay. It's to make you aware of something. It's like being afraid. It's like being afraid is a, is a response to get your attention. That's what emotions are for. Then you get to decide how you respond to that situation. 
And it's like, it, wh where's the benefit of anger? If I have to, if I have to defend my life or defend my wife or, or, or defend my dog, don't get in my way. Hmm. Okay. All right. But other than that, you know, there's really not a lot of necessity in it. Right. But that's what emotions are for. Those strong, any strong emotion that you've ever felt is to make sure that you attend to that. So joy, joy is the same thing. So joy is to get you to recognize the importance of this moment. Okay. That's a really, really strong emotion. And then everything else in between is peace and happiness. Right. But the strong emotions are just attention getters. That's it. And then decide, then you decide like, okay, where's the value in this? Right. And again, life or death situation, you better be angry, like to the nth yeah. degree and then use it to your full capabilities. But other than that, you know, words don't threaten me. Like you, like you, you could try to your heart's content to insult me right now. L listen to me. You can try to insult me. <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible. I allow myself to be insulted because that's yeah. my choice. But but if I don't allow that, you can't insult me. You can't hurt my feelings unless I let you. And people don't recognize that fact. They they think that well, this is how it should be. They watch movies and they say, oh, this is normal behavior. It's like no, it's not. Right. <laughs> How do you manage your, like I, you had a post, uh, energy management is more important and then time management happens. Yes, sir. So, yes. so how do you do that? Like you are busy in so many aspects of life. How do you take out time to learn new stuff, something from other domains as well? So how do you manage that? I, I create a structure that allows me to do that. Like literally I have, I have a, a physical like, so I, I, I have a, have you ever heard me say two week sprint? Have you ever heard me say that? No. Like I have a physical, like I have, I have a physical structure to my two week schedule. Like th this is my easy weekend. This is, this is, this is my lazy, easy, like it's not lazy, but it's an easy weekend. It's a recovery weekend. This is where I do planning and organization and, and stuff like that, where I have a little bit more time where, where I'm not doing some, like, I like to, I like to do these calls. This is, this is fun for me. Um, so, so I do some of that stuff and then I'll do a little bit of, of like the creative side of things, right. Where I draw stuff and, and think through things that are fun, but, um, but no, I have a physical structure that, that says, this is clinic time. This is, you know, other business time. This is writing time. This is reading time. And then I have a, you know, blocks where it's like, whatever. And that would be like, you know, stuff I do with my wife or my dog or, you know, whatever I like to do. So I just plan, I just plan. And then, you know, you'll figure it out. It's, it's like, you know, if, if energy's, you know, uh, at, at a, at a minimum, then you need to alter your structure. That's how you know when to make a change is when it doesn't fit. But, but you just, you do something and you go, how was that? So what, what the mistake that a lot of people make, I think, is that they do stuff and they think they don't have any other choices. And I, and I think, mm -hmm. I think we have a lot of choices that we can make. We just have to pay attention. Most people don't pay attention. They get to the end of the week and they go, man, I'm really tired. And they go, they didn't look back and go, wow, I could have saved energy there. I could have saved energy there. I could have saved energy there. They just think that, ah, oh, I didn't have any control over it. And I think, you know, we do have a few choices. 
I think we have a few choices that, that influence our outcomes. Um, I will give you one more quick question and then I gotta go. Okay, so what advice would you give to someone who just cannot read those big books, whatever novels or something, because I see everyone reading like thick novels, but I just like cannot textbooks? read it. Not textbooks, but novels or some other books. Like I see so many people reading like thick books, but I just can't. Like I can watch videos for long, but uh, texts are not. So don't. So Any don't. strategy? So don't. Well, if you don't like it, then why torture yourself? Here's what I say. Um, it is when, whenever you're going to consume information in any way, shape, or form, okay, um, ask a question first. Formulate a question to keep you focused on the task at hand versus just blindly consuming information. And then you can say, is this information helping me? Right. And it's okay to have periods where you just kind of go, well, let's just see what random, let's, what shows up on my YouTube feed or whatever. It's like, that's fine. But, but plan that ahead. Like, like don't, don't use your focused time, um, you know, where, where you would consider this is, this is important. Right. Ask the question, formulate a question, have a reason. And then anything else that doesn't fit into that, that's what you don't consume. And so what you may find is, is that if you, if you start asking better questions and you will over time, it takes, takes practice, you ask better questions and then it won't matter what form the source is in. So the reason that you might not like to read the textbooks is because you're not curious enough to, to use that, in, that, that content, that form to fulfill a need. You're, you're, you're too scattered, you're too generalized. And then so anything that seems of interest sort of catches your eye and then takes you on a path that leads you to nowhere. Because the next thing you know, you're looking at baby goat videos on YouTube. You know, when you were, you were looking for vertical jump information and you ended up at baby goats, right? <laughs> okay. So, so again, just, just, formulate, just formulate a better question. And then, like I said, then, then you might recognize the fact that, oh, this book is kind of interesting or this part of a book is interesting. So people try to read textbooks like novels. It doesn't work that way. Um, it, you know, you should go to where, where the information is that you might, might need. Like maybe it's a paper, maybe it is a video, maybe it's a lecture, right? And, and but again, I think if, you're, if you create the curiosity, the source of the information will be less of a, of a challenge for you. Where you say, "Oh, I consume videos. I think that's random. I think that what what you should say is, I consume information to fulfill a need. Have a need uh, for it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Right. <laughs> I do need to go. I appreciate you very much. Thanks a lot for the questions. I'll see you. Yeah. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have neuro coffee in hand, and it is perfect. All right, a very busy Tuesday uh, coming up. We're gonna dig straight into today's Q&A with Jason. Um, Jason works with the young athletes. In our conversation, we talked specifically about one athlete, a 13-year-old uh, prepubescent uh, male, 
and, and he's showing some strategies that would be associated with a lot of intro rotation, high force production. Apparently this kid's actually a very good athlete. And then the question mark is like, okay, how much of this do we want to allow him to demonstrate? One of the things we want to consider on any athlete is they're typically demonstrating a solution to a problem. So they're trying to solve some movement problem either in, in competition or something that we would uh, prescribe during training. And so then they're going to provide whatever solution that they can produce. The question mark is, is, is it always acceptable? And we have to make that decision. We have to make a qualitative uh, decision as a coach as to how much of this that we, we want to see as a representation, knowing what it means, and then how much protection do we need to provide. If we look at this, uh, this group of athletes, they're typically in the train-to-train -train phase. If we could break this up into three sections, we would say that early on it's all about uh, learning to train, then train-to-train, -train. so we're exposing them to, to, to many broad capabilities and slowly evolving that, and that is in preparation for the training to compete phase where they have a much more mature physiology. So we're in the setup phase here. So it is kind of important that we approach this from the, the appropriate perspective. That's not about maximization. It is more about a demonstration of capabilities and like I said, a broader scope of exposure. So Jason's doing a great job with this. I actually said this during the call. It's like, you kind of already knew the answer before you asked me the question. But I, but I think that uh, um, our discussion is gonna help a lot of people that, that do work with this, with this age group. So thank you, Jason, very useful call. If you'd like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I'll see you tomorrow. All right. Clock has started, Jason. What is your question, young man? My question is, is sort of an open-ended question. So I work with a lot of middle school athletes uh, and one in particular, which I've been working with for over a year now. Um, some things have kind of caught my attention. Um, when I watch them train, when I watch them move, I see a lot of uh, compression strategies across the structure. So a lot of internal rotation, uh, pronation at the feet and the hips and the knees and the lumbar spine, et cetera. So it doesn't worry me at all. He's a pretty athletic little kid, but he's, uh, he's small for his age. He hasn't hit puberty or anything like that. So, um, and we just do very basic strength training, pushes, pulls, and obviously a lot of like jumping and med ball throwing and sprinting huh? and everything that a kid's going to need for athletic development at that age. But my question comes in is when I see a lot of these strategies taking place, I just wonder how much his structure is adapting to do that um, at that young of an age and like how important is giving him the opposite end of the spectrum, like variability from an expansion standpoint um, because there's no hormones in that body to produce muscle yet, or at least not enough and increased force production and things like that, that we use strength training for. So um, I wonder if over the long term I could be, having some negative effects over time. I'm not saying that like doing the strength training is bad, right? But everything has a cost. So I just wonder how, you know, going about training middle schoolers in that sense, like what does training the opposite end of the spectrum look like? And is it even necessary? Okay, so, so what you're observing first and foremost is a solution to a problem. Right. So you have asked him to do certain things. 
Sure. He has a certain structure. He has certain physiology. And then he is providing you with, this is how I do it. Yeah. Right. And, and that is always going to be the case, regardless of who we talk about. So if we're talking about a major league baseball pitcher, whether we're talking about an eight-year-old, whether we're talking about 13-year-old. Right. All we're doing is observing a solution. And then, then we are making a determination as to what is good and what is not good. Right. Based on what we think is best under the circumstances. So you have already asked a question and you go, I'm seeing this. And then now I'm curious as to, it's like, is this really a good thing? Right. And so what we want to make sure that we're doing, number one, is we never want to hurt anybody, obviously, right? And so, again, so he's doing certain things to produce force, and, and again, within his capabilities. When we talk about <clears throat> physiology, like the physiological progression of an individual, mm-hmm. and then we associate it with, with the training process, um, one of the best ways to look at this is, is where is this this kid in that, in that process. And so if you break it up into, into sections, you could say, say learning to train is step one, right? They literally need to learn how to, right? And then there's the phase where they're just training to train. So, so now we're starting to, to try to influence physiology a little bit more. We're trying to take advantage of, of some of the, the, what would be referred to um, as, as a sensitive period, right? So there's, there's certain periods where certain aspects of physiology are going to accelerate certain processes. So, so yeah. speed is very important early on, mm-hmm. um, in that, in that, in that process, whereas maximal strength comes a lot later. Right. 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 And, and so, so now we have to look and we say, we have to say, okay, where is this kid in this process? Yeah. It's like, what are we doing? So, so, so I would look at this from the perspective as, as he's 13. Um, how many scholarship offers does he have so far? <laughs> Zero. Okay. Um, how many professional contracts is he about ready to sign? Zero. Okay. So he's kind of far away from like the end right. game of, 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 of his, his ultimate capabilities. Right. Sure. So, so at this point, what, what our primary goal is, is making sure that, that you are setting him up for say three years from now. So when he's, when he's 15, 16, 17, where the loading parameters are really going to be influenced by his, by his physiology. So, so at this point, um, what I would say is we want to try to expand his capabilities to whatever it is he is capable of doing. So, so there are limits. Sure. His, his physical structure um, is a limitation, whatever it may be at that point in time. Right. So, you know, you, you see, you're seeing some of these, these IR strategies that they're just force producing strategies, right? No matter like, again, whether we're looking at a 45 year old accountant that is, you know, has an arch that, that looks like it rests on the ground or, or a kid that's pushing into the ground, they're, they're doing the same thing. They're pushing into the ground. So he is trying to come up with a force based solution under the circumstance for what you have asked him to do. And so then it's your job. If you want to see the other end of the spectrum, we say, well, what is his capability at the other end? Now you have to select an activity that challenges him to access that. Okay. Right. So, so it would be the difference between like a series of jumps where you know that the, he's got a time constraint, he's got high force production necessities and such. And then you say, but let's go over and just do a bear crawl. Totally different other end of the spectrum right. kind of thing, right? Where yeah. he has to physically change his, the shape of his body to whatever it is within his capabilities. 
mm-hmm. where, where I can expose him to the demands of the other end of this, this so-called spectrum of force production or movement capability, right? right. And so, so then that becomes your, your assessment in regards to, well, does he, what does he have at the other end? Mm-hmm. How, far, how far can he go in this direction? And then if, if you know this, so let's just say that his physical structure is not, not one that's going to be the type of person that is going to be demonstrating um, these high-end you know, mobility capabilities, right? Let's just say that he's going to be biased towards these compensatory strategies to produce force. And again, not a bad thing. Athletes do it all the time. Okay. But now, you know, but now you're going to say, I might need to do a lot more of this stuff that moves him away from what he is the best at, because if I allow his superpower to take over now, I'm going to give up all of what protects him. Yeah. Right. And so, so he's in this train to train kind of, kind of phase. Yeah. I'd say he's learned he's, he's a like, learned i guess from our standpoint of what we do yeah so so again it's like it's like you know you're not pushing him to to you know max capabilities um you're you're trying to expose him to a variety of of things right and now but you're starting to see what what he is starting to be capable of because he's he's going to hit puberty pretty soon right yeah and and then you're going to go through you're going to go through another big change yeah right and, and so, so like I said, the setup becomes very, very important that like he has an understanding of, of meaning in regards to what is expected of him, what you're trying to achieve. He's probably still a little bit more malleable in, in this age range than he will be three years from now, where his physiology will, will start to sort of solidify towards his adult representation, mm-hmm. right? And yeah. so, so I think it's advantageous at this point is to, is to start to in, include things that you think are really, really far away from what he's demonstrating. So, so if he's like showing like these, these IR strategies, high force type, type strategies, it's like, let's see what happens when I do put him in a situation where, where expansion would be the desired outcome, where we're getting more uh, external rotation um, that like the posterior expansion that we always talk about is the, is where yeah. we get that extra rotation to superimpose the IR. It's like, can I put him in these other situations to where now he has the this broader range of capabilities? He has he has the spaces to protect himself where he's going to superimpose the high force. Absolutely, yeah, that makes total sense. And I was, I mean, you use the word malleable, and that's what I'm looking at his bones like bending. I mean, obviously not like a ton, and I'm like. I imagine the muscles operate like you've used the term like as squeezers before. Right. Like, and right. I imagine the muscles are still doing that, even though there's not a oh. muscle. He's like, it's not about it's not about mass. It's a, it's a, it's about the coordinative effects, right? Yeah. So so again, so for anybody to produce force, we got to push down into the ground pretty hard, right? Absolutely. And so he's going to do it whatever way he can. And again, as as his physiology changes. He's going to get bigger. He's going to naturally get, get stronger under most circumstances. That's how kids, you know, grow. Right. And, and, you know, you want to start with whatever it is that you think is, is best. If you see this really strong bias towards one direction, it's like, you know, maybe he turns out to be like the the world's greatest athlete in some respect because of that. Because of it. Yeah. I don't want to like, I don't want to mess with it, but I'm looking up, my eyes are like, 
yeah. wait a second. Like, cause he's also a baseball player too. And I keep yeah. trying to tell him like this particular kid, I'm like, Hey, go play another sport. And he's like, oh, I don't want yeah, to. Well, and like that, that, you know? But you are the other sport. See, that's the thing, yeah. dude. It's like, it's like, that's the, yeah. one of the things. And, and I think, I think it was Ty, Ty Terrell that, that, that sort of made this point when he was working for us. And, and, and he, I, I, I don't want to, I want to give him credit for it because I thought it was just a brilliant statement. Mm-hmm. He, he's like, he's like, we don't come, we don't worry about the kids playing the other sport. If they want to do that, that's great. We, we encourage that, but if yeah. they're not going to, we're the other sport. So it's our job. It's our job to sort of give them the other things that that sport would naturally take away if we think that there's value in the maintenance of those capabilities. And I think in most cases, I think in most cases uh, for a 13 year old um, athlete, I think that, that it would behoove us to make sure that we build it, we build in buffers against what they are already demonstrating to be their sort of like their, their superpowers. As I, as I say, it's like, it's like there's certain things that stand out in certain kids. And it's just like, man, it's like, we want to hang on to that. It's going to be something good and useful. But if, if we give it too much now, we're going to take away something that, that might protect them later on. Yeah. That's really the heart of my question there too. Cause I also have another kid that's kind of like, I guess you could say on the other end of the spectrum, like say if they were like an example would be if they're doing like a, like a reaching to a cone, single leg deadlift, single leg RDL. And I see one kid is like, it's, it's like his pelvis wants to like roll backwards. Like he's going to do like at the bottom of a squat or something like that. And then this other kid, it's like, hello, arch back. And I'm looking, I'm thinking like both kids run about the same, you know, fly 10 time. They're both eighth graders. They both play similar sports. And I'm like, that's really interesting. Um, just to kind of see those structures. Well, and, and again, it's it's like a structural bias is going to to provide different strategies. You know, if if yeah. if we if we looked at the extremes of the archetypes, and let's just say that you have a, let's just say that you have a, a you, you mentioned eighth graders, so we're going to use eighth graders. So you have an eighth grader that is definitely structured towards a a wide bias, and you have another that is the slender, you know, narrow ISA. Yeah, skinny. He looks like you a know, it's like. They may, you know, people say, well, could, could both those kids have the same vertical jump? Absolutely. Could both yeah, those kids yeah. have the same flying 10? Absolutely. It's like yeah. how they get there, however, will, because their starting points are different, how they're going to get there is going to be a different strategy entirely. And then, like, like I said before, it's like the question mark then for you, and this is where you get to be the good coach, you get to say, I want you to be able to move in that direction that, that quickly, but I'm just going to give you enough of this, this other stuff. Mm-hmm. make sure that, that it, you know, it doesn't affect you later on. Right. It would yeah. be great if, if, if everybody um, could play three different sports and was good at three different sports, but I don't think it, I don't think it really works that way. Yeah. I think, I think the kids gravitate towards what one, what they, what they love because they're kids. Right. And they also find out maybe they're really good at something. Yeah. And they want to see it. Yeah. And, and, and again, we don't, we don't necessarily want to take that away. So then it becomes our responsibility, like I said, to be the other sport. And I, I, th- I think, you know, you asked the question and I think you already kind of knew the answer. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, I it, mean, it, I, you just, you yeah. just need the, you just need, you just need the, the objectivity that is difficult yeah. to produce in, when you're in this situation and, and you're probably doing already a whole bunch of good stuff, you know, um, as far as, you know, building the buffers in, you're doing a variety of activities, I'm sure. Um, but 
I think that, that, uh, you know, from the 10,000 foot view, you always got to step back and you go, how much of this do I want to allow? And then how much of this do I need to protect him from? Yeah, absolutely. And it's process. It's, it's always process, Jason. You know, you're, you're, you know, you don't make any, any, you know, um, uh, huge mistakes, right? Yeah. Always gradual, always gradual change, always gradual yeah. introductions, like the smallest amount of change to produce an outcome. That that would be the, you know, the last piece of advice that I would give you on this. You know, it's like, just don't make these big giant leaps because he'll change all by himself, right? And right. then you will be making adjustments on the fly anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I think, I think you already know what the answer was. I appreciate that. Yeah, that's kind of the what the end of my, I guess the end of my email question said was, you know, like, I kind of, like, had the feeling that this is the direction that I needed to go. And like, you use the bear crawl example, we do bear crawl examples. And I'm like, hey, don't like shoot your head towards the floor, like, you know, try right. to get something there. But like, yeah. it's, it, I also look at it and think like, you know, very basic, like breathing posterior expansion for the ribs or like, doing like a respiratory squat like those are really hard things to teach with like 10 middle schoolers in one room of course they are. and so i'm like you know that's why this is that's why this is not an easy job my friend no and i'm going back and <laughs> forth in my head and i'm thinking you know if i like like obviously like step one on the you know progression or regression scale would be like hey let's i mean i could be wrong by saying this too let's you know get in supine or quadruped and learn how to breathe right and i'm like well, if I skip that process, am I doing them a disservice? But if I try to do that, it's going to turn into like a logistical nightmare with you know right. ten middle schoolers. But understood. It, but it, it, like I said, it it is difficult. But, but like I said, I think you're on point. Hey, I need to I need to run to the next call. No worries at all. I appreciate, appreciate it. it. I hope it was Thank helpful. You. Thank Always. you. Thank you. Bye. Bye bye. Good morning. Happy. Wednesday, I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, today is Wednesday. That means that tomorrow is Thursday, 6 a.m. Tomorrow morning, Coffee and Coaches Conference call. As usual, great groups of people, great questions. Grab yourself a coffee. Please join us for the Q&A. Um, these have been going on for quite some time and they just keep getting better. So I'm really enjoying these. And again, please join us. Digging into today's Q&A. This is a uh, uh, question with Andrew. Andrew asked some great foundational questions. And I think it'll add some clarity um, in regards to how things are described for a lot of people. Because a lot of times, and especially in the literature, this happens a, a great deal where the, the point of reference is not clear and therefore the descriptions then become confusing as to, well, are we looking at a situation where we have something that is internally rotated relative to something else or, or do we have segments that are moving together? So we used a wide ISA pelvic representation for this um, to, to help um, identify um, some of these relative positions and orientations and again, just to add clarity to the language and understanding. But if you also have questions about why did I say pelvic mechanics, we're gonna talk about that too. So again, it's gonna be helpful on multiple levels. Um, thank you, Andrew, for this question. It's gonna help a lot of people. Uh, if you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We will arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Have a great day. Good morning, Bill. Good morning.
So Ivan's first question uh, really got me going on structure um, of the wide ISA versus the narrow ISA. And I think for the first time, I really, I'm, I'm starting to understand like the, the structural differences visually, but that's why I want to run it by you. Cause if I'm completely wrong, like that would be helpful to know. Um, okay. <laughs> um, I'm sure you're not completely wrong. Uh, we'll see. Um, so, okay. So I'm just like, I'm looking at the, I have a skeleton over here and I'm just looking at it and I'm thinking that if the, if you have somebody who is a wide ISA bias and they have the, the wider infrapubic angle, um, just kind of by default, if you were to, if you were to compare just like not somebody who's um, using compensatory strategies necessarily, but just like by, by design alone, uh, the, the wide versus the narrow, um, you would, wouldn't you expect to see that the, the wide, um, ISA pelvis is a little bit more like, like, um, posteriorly oriented just at rest in standing, like, because of the way that the, the flattening, like the way the flattening almost brings the pubis forwards, wouldn't you expect, um, the standing position of the wide ISA pelvis without any movements and just by structure to be slightly more posteriorly oriented or no? Okay. So when, when you're expressing this idea, you're locking a lot of structure together in your description. Okay. So let's make an assumption that we've got a wide ISA with full relative motion. Okay. They don't exist, but let's just say. So you're saying that, okay? Right. Now, let me give you perspective. If I hold this still and I do that, yep. same orientation. It's just relative to a, a point of reference, okay? Right. So a, a wide ISA would be biased towards that, that nutated sacrum, which would be a, a posterior orientation of the anominate, right? And so where's our perspective, right? So right. is it doing, is it doing that? No, right. it's just doing that. So the relative motion would be that this is rotating posterior relative to the sacrum, okay? In standing, in standing, are you early, middle or late? If you're just standing upright against gravity. Uh, middle. Yeah. So the bias for humans in standing is nutation and what would be a relative, relative internal rotation of the denominator. Right. So you have to look at it from perspective because if I am, if I am, if, sorry, if I anteriorly orient the pelvis, okay, that's locking everything together. Right. And I still might be like that, right? Right. If I'm a wide guy with anti-orientation, my, my relative position would still be that, okay? So if you say anti-orientation of the pelvis, I'm assuming that everything's going together from whatever representation okay. we started with. Okay, 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 okay. That would be the relative motion between the anominates and the sacrum. Does that, does that clarify your thought process? Yes, yes. Because, yeah, saying it's and. So saying that the pelvis as a whole is anteriorly oriented is is a little is not correct. So so it's 
So it's, it's what, what's that? I, I, I love what you just said, because that's been like the, the thorn in my side for um, three decades of trying to understand when people say, oh, you have an anterior pelvic tilt. And they go, and I go, well, wait a minute. Are you talking about the pelvis as a whole? Are you talking about that and then going forward? Are you talking about that and going forward? It's like, it's very unclear when people just throw out a ballpark term like that, because it doesn't really add to the clarity of the problem. Because then every, if everybody has an anterior pelvic tilt, but I started from, from two potentially extreme representations, it's like what all, this, what all the stuff that went into that, right? It's like, it doesn't help me with the solution because my narrow is going to be a little bit different than my wide, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. So the, the, okay. So the, maybe a better way to look at it would be like, if you have a wider, if you have a wider pelvis, the indominates would be relatively um, in standing, right? Like the, the indominates would be relatively posteriorly oriented, which would allow the sacrum to mutate more. Um, right. Because, cause you're getting that, that relative motion that's allowing to just go up. Let's be really clear relative to the sacrum. Yes. Like we want to have, we want to have a point of reference. We need a frame of reference to understand the relationship, because if I just said posterior orientation, what if that's my thought process? And this doesn't really help, right. but, but that would be, that would be my thought process. Uh, if I don't understand Right. If you just go, let's just posteriorly orient the anomaly. Is that posterior orientation of the anomaly? No, it's not. Which way, which direction did it go, boss? Uh, posterior oh, orientation okay. relative to what? Relative right. to what? You see, you see, it's like I just said posterior orientation and I did that. And you go, well, that's not posterior orientation because I didn't move the sacrum. But see, you didn't make the point that you were talking about relative to the sacrum. I was just talking about relative to the vertical. Right. Right. So again, what's our point of reference? If we don't have a frame of reference, we have no idea what we're talking about. Definitely. When I say anterior orientation of the pelvis, do you know what I mean? Uh, you mean the whole sacrum and a nominate, you know, all everything just going forward. Exactly. Exactly. All right. You get it? Yeah. Okay. So, and then the, okay. So I, I think it's, it's starting to click what you're talking about with um, a wide, let me see if I got this right. Like a wide ISA by structure is, is, uh, being, they, they have, they have, it's almost like they, they, they have space backwards. And so they push forward against it. Does that, that basically just means that like, there's at rest, I mean, I'm going to simplify it, but it's like at rest in that standing position, let's say, um, there's there's all of this room posteriorly um, for the sacrum to travel back if it if it were to it, right right be again relative to the anomalies. Um, hang on, hang on. When okay. you when you're saying back, it's like I need you to I need you to clarify what you mean by back. Are you talking about like a, a nutated sacrum where the apex is moving relatively to the to the Anominate, or are you talking about um, trying to recapture a counter-nutated representation? Uh, counter-nutated. Okay. Different world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Okay, okay, got it. Um, so, so it's okay. So the the thing that uh, you've been saying is that the the um, 
the wide ISA first compensatory strategy is since they're being pushed back, they inhale and push forward against it, something like that, or exhale and push forward against it, inhale, lower rib cage. Okay. I, I think I'm starting to get it. Maybe. All right. <laughs> All right. It's just, like, like I said, it's just, it's just understanding the representation, right? So they're going to use a compensatory inhale, right? Their bias, their bias is to be exhaled. That means they have to use a compensatory strategy to breathe in. When they breathe in, because of the shape of the, of the thorax, the position of the diaphragm, the expansion is greater posteriorly in the thorax and in the pelvis, which would knock them backwards. Yeah. That's why they have to get pushed forward. We're back to Ivan's question from the very beginning. Right, because because they would have again just looking at this really oversimplified like standing in one place model, they would have less of a of a lumbar lordosis wide ISA, and so that that shape would be would be no okay never mind. First of all, dirty word. Okay, dirty word. Grace, what do you say? What do you say that was wrong? Lordosis. Yeah, he said lordosis. Didn't he? Yeah, it's okay. It's all right. I'm just picking on you, man. No, so if so, if if you were to continue to exaggerate the nutation of the sacrum, so that's base tilting forward, apex moving relatively in the opposite direction. Okay, you understand? Okay, so I'm I'm exaggerating that the the spine would would move relative to the base going forward. So the spine would go in the other direction, which would magnify the internal rotation representation, which would be lordosis. Right. I got the willies there when I said, <laughs> yeah, does, does it, I just want to make sure that you're, you're, you're clear on that because yeah. if they were to, if, if they had a normal inhale, a normal inhale, they would have a reduction in that in that representation of the spine, right? It would be less IR because they're breathing in. They're using a compensatory strategy, so it doesn't move. Say that one more time. Um, I, I, I didn't understand. Oh, say that one more time. Oh man, I don't even know if I, if I, 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 I tend to forget things like as soon as I say them now, cause I'm 55 years old. Uh, okay, so if, if they had a normal breath in, okay, normal breath in, the sacral base would be moving posteriorly and then the spine would move in opposition under those circumstances that would reduce that that inward curve that internal rotation of the spine right or the extension lordosis right yeah yeah okay but they don't have they don't have normal breathing because of the structural bias right and so that's why they that's why they start using these compensatory strategies. That's why there's a center of gravity problem. That's why they have to start to superimpose superficial musculature on top of the of the axial skeleton to hold position over their center of gravity so they don't fall. Okay. Mm -hmm. So so step one, understand the the so-called normal mechanics right the average mechanics of what breathing in breathing out looks like creating the structural bias on top of that and saying okay they're not going to be very good at this so like a wide's not going to be very good at counter like a like a narrow would and vice versa right, right? 
then you say, okay, well, if they can't breathe normally, so I got a guy that can't inhale like everybody else does, how's he going to do it? Oh, he's going to cheat. If he cheats, where's the expansion going to be? Now he's lost his balance. And now we're back to, to Ivan's question at the beginning. It's like, oh, he's falling backwards. Let's give him a little shove from behind. Okay. Cool. You get it? Uh, yeah, much better than before. Thank you. Okay, excellent. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. That's really good too, by the way. Wow. Okay. So um, I've got a question that relates to the sequencing of um, restoration of relative motion versus uh, the uh, removal of an orientation or the reduction of an orientation. So I'll, I'll paint a picture and you can tell me whether I'm on track or not or what the, what the issue is. So let's say we've got a narrow ISA. I um, am observing them doing some goblet squats uh, in a, uh, on a, with a, uh, a wedge or a ramp and we're seeing some spinal uh, lumbar use the dirty word here flexion or expansion uh when they're before they're reaching sort of 90 degrees so i look at that and i determine that that's not ideal for what we're trying to capture so put them down on the uh, on the on the ground and take a look at them and they've got significant reduction in ir and er pretty limited uh we do uh, a couple of simple sequences to re-establish some um ir uh, at the conclusion of that, we put them back up there. We notice that they're, they're, they're quite anteriorly orientated. We've managed to recapture a bit of IR. The squat goes according to plan and everything looks quite smoothly. Now, the question that I have in respect to this is that I've you know, managed to temporarily recapture some IR. We've got a, an improved position uh, in, in respect to the squat, but... In order to really affect the sequence from what I've sort of observed previously, previously you sort of say to go after the to go after the orientation prior to trying to recapture any relative motion within the hip. So I'm just trying to determine is there a downside to just doing what I just explained to you there? And if so, what is what is that downside? Well, <clears throat> so I have to I have to give you the the standard response, and that's a maybe, right? Because okay. what's the intention? Well, the intention initially is to clean up that squat pattern for me. What does that What does that mean in regards to when you say when you say clean it up? Is the intention is it we're, we're preparing them for force production? We're we're primarily focused on restoring relative motion because you're going to have a reduction of relative motions if if the intention is to increase force production, right? And so under, under that circumstance, you might've been doing something that's very useful in regards to restoring relative motions, maybe not. Okay. So with the... If I may, if I may. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay. So, so if you do an activity that restores internal rotation and it does not have an impact on external rotation in a favorable way, okay? then there's a good chance that you created an orientation, okay? Which might be useful in force production. However, 
it would um, interfere potentially with relative motion. So for someone that say, for instance, in that circumstance, someone who's got an anterior um, orientation, we could have in actual fact exacerbated the anterior orientation by going yes, out from the arc. Yes, yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, and that's and that's why you know when you say clean up a squat pattern, it's like that's that's sort of like this cloudy kind of a, a representation because you probably understand exactly what you meant to say, right? Yeah. Because yeah, you knew yeah, what yeah. your intention was, and then I I have to sit way over here on the other side of the or actually the other hemisphere, and I have to go. Okay, what did Matt mean by that? and then figure that out. And so that's why we have to be a little bit cl more clear as to what our intentions are at the beginning of this, right? So in, in that example, in that example there, the clearing up of the squat pattern was uh, me observing that lumbar uh, flexion, if you like, uh -huh. midway, but, and then that not being present once we, after we executed that, that, that um, um, <clears throat> restoration of a little okay. bit. Okay, so, so, you, you took out your microscope and you went like this and you looked right at the lower back, right? That was it. That was it. Okay. Yeah. There's my, here's my next question. Okay. What else had to happen to accomplish the outcome? Is, right. Do you think that you only impacted that area? No, likely. likely I, I, I'm not saying you did anything. I, I, I want to be clear. I'm not saying you did anything wrong. I'm just saying, it's like, do you think that you just impacted that one area? No, well, you, no, of course not. It, so the question would be, the, the question I guess would be as a, just thinking this through, if I've uh, reduced that lumbar, I don't want to use the word flexion. It's okay, it's all right. It's like, I, I speak dirty words too, but okay. I, I, I just don't use them when, when I don't want to, right, basically. Okay. So um, no, it's like, I, I understand where you're going. So you're, you're looking at it, you initially were seeing an ER compensatory strategy, okay? Yep. That's what that was. By your description, that's what that was, okay? You did something and you made a change. So here's my question to you, Matt Hamilton. It looked different. It was more favorable in your eyes. Yeah. But if you if you took that ER compensatory strategy and just put it somewhere else, is that the correct answer? And I and and again, I'm not judging that because I might be totally okay with that. Because what may have had to happen though is that you saw more ER orientation in the, in the hip itself. And then by doing that, you made the, the lower back look different. That might be a great solution for somebody that has to produce force. So think about like a power lifter trying to squat with a narrow stance when they've never squatted with a narrow stance. That's kind of what you were describing. And then yeah. you put them in a wide stance with some toe out and then you see a totally different representation of the squat and maybe, maybe their force output goes up, which would be totally favorable in that circumstance. Okay, so, so the, 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 the flow on from this would be in respect to 
so reducing the uh, anterior orientation that we're that, that we're seeing of the of the pelvis itself as a whole. Um, if you go after that, what sort of like in anything that I've done up to this point where we might be using things like that hills elevated goblet squat for instance or some um, cross connects or, or, or anything of that nature i'm trying to get someone back into an earlier representation right, right. the 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 issue that i am seeing is are you like from a visual observation to reduce that seems to be a very um in my eyes anyway, up to this point, a long drawn out process. Do you just use like your ER measures as your KPIs in respect to that reduction? Yeah, so so that's, it's a very useful measure. Now, so here's, here's what we have to be clear about um, when we're talking about reducing the, the anterior orientation is what we want to see is, is a restoration, <clears throat> excuse me, of, of, of relative motion because if you're anteriorly oriented, the pelvis is moving as one big piece, right? So instead of having these, these segmental representations, it's moving as an entire unit. And that's why you start to see the, the measures that you do. So when I say, you know, using your ER as a KPI, what we wanna see is an improvement in the ER, that's a reduction in the orientation but I also wanna see the superimposition of, of internal rotation at the same time, because if I don't, then I know I'm back to square one with, with what you were observing initially in the squat, which was the, the compensation in the lower back. Right. So, so a bunch of ER, no IR. Yeah, I got the pelvis to, to go in the other direction, but I didn't do it with relative motions. I did it through the spine. Okay. When I say relative motions, it's relative motions in the pelvis itself. In the pelvis, yeah. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. Okay. This is a busy weekend. It's work weekend on the two-week sprint, um, so we'll be very busy. So let's dig straight into today's Q&A. Um, this is with Zach. Zach was on the Coffee and Coaches conference call yesterday, brought a great case uh, to the call in regards to a, a weightlifter with right shoulder pain. The cool thing about this, it will be very relatable to, for those of you that do not do table tests, but still need to be able to understand how movement exists based on shape change, based on spaces where we do access ranges of motion. So for instance, if I was working with somebody that had a great deal of, of anterior compressive strategy, we know that that takes our external rotation space that we can normally access in front of us and it moves it away from midline. That's exactly what was happening uh, with this weightlifter as she described some of the, the symptoms that she would get during some of her lifts. So this is why we do this subjective information or the, the subjective examination with our patients is because a lot of the information that they give us tells us a great deal about how we need to look at these relationships. Like, so for instance, if somebody um, off the street comes in and says, hey, uh, I got right shoulder pain, hurts when I lay on that side. What that means is they can't change shape enough to lay on that side, because usually what you would get is you would get anterior-posterior expansion when you lay on your side. But if you don't, then you're laying right on a point. And so that's why people get uncomfortable in their hip or on their shoulder when they're laying on their side. So little pieces of information like that are valuable to us to help us guide our process. Um, so. Again, you won't need table tests. 
um, if you pay attention, if you understand spaces, and if you can get rid of the straight plane thinking that, that we are all brought up on. So Zach, a very useful question. Um, thank you for bringing this case. It's gonna help a lot of people. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it, and we'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Friday, um, an outstanding weekend. Uh, podcast will be up on Sunday. Don't forget to go to the YouTube channel and subscribe so you get all the videos, and I'll see you next week. One of our strength coaches at work just kind of stopped in um, for me to look at her shoulder because it was bothering her with some of her overhead lifts, um, Olympic lifting. Um, it's her right shoulder. So what she said, two things that kind of like stood out to me that I thought were interesting. Um, so if she was doing like a split jerk from, if she, from the front rack position, that's when it really hurts her if she goes overhead. But if she goes, starts from behind her neck and pushes, she doesn't feel any pain. Um, and then the other thing she said was if she throws the right leg forward, it's from like start assuming it's her front rack position. So she's going to have pain when the right leg goes forward. It doesn't really bother her as much, but if the left leg goes forward, she uh, just diagnosed it for you, boss. That's yeah, awesome. So, so I, did, I did a quick like chest board on her and she has like 20 degrees of shoulder flexion, which might be part of her issue. Um, I was trying to work. Through, like, <laughs> it might the, be. It might be. <laughs> I was trying to work through like the thought process of like those two things she was saying. I just wanted to Awesome. Okay. So let's work through the thought process. Talk me through it. What's going on? So for the front rack versus behind the neck, um, is that just, she's starting from a relatively more IR position. So she runs out of room sooner. Uh, which one are you saying is more IR just to be clear front front rack requires more IR than being behind the neck. So like the end position would be the same. But she start and she she flares the right elbow out a little bit more, so it just seems like she's looking for ER to move from. Okay, there there you go. That last statement is is where your money is right there. Okay, and okay. Is, is it just that the behind the neck doesn't require it? It allows her more ER. Yes. To start from. She's starting from a more okay. So so let's use the let's use the split jerk. Okay. Table test, real quick. Um, what's your confirmation for hip orientation on, if you're running table tests on the right hip? So you're measuring right hip. What's your confirmations to let you know where your right hip is oriented? Simple question. I'm not, I'm not sure I understand where you're going with that. Okay, so when, you, when you're, somebody comes in with right hip stuff and they go, Zach, I got a right hip thing. And you go, well, let me measure right hip stuff. And so you measure the right hip stuff and then you stop right there and you don't measure anything else, right? Would it be the, the external rotation measure? I'm, I'm not saying which measure it is. I just want, I just want to know what you're using as a confirmation for, for your hip measures to make sure that your, your thought process is useful. Yeah, the, the two that I find most useful are the external rotation and straight leg raise. Okay. Does anybody want to dive in here? And, and think in the same way that I am that you would use to confirm a hip orientation. What would you use? Does anybody know? Shoulder. Huh? So who, who said it? Shoulder. Yes. Shoulder on the same side. Okay. So, so here's, here's what she told you literally in her explanation. She goes, Zach, every time I, I try to um, move my arm through space as I elevate it, I run out of space and I hit this, this spot every time, unless 
unless I deviate away from midline and orient into farther into ER and then I'm fine. That's what she said about her shoulder, right? And then she said, by the way, just to confirm that I have to move away from midline when I go right leg forward on my split jerk, um, I, it doesn't hurt as bad either. So she said the hip and the shoulder are doing the same thing. So, so the, the right leg forward just essentially makes it easier for her to turn her whole body away from that side. She's so, so think about, okay. So she's moving the, the lead leg into an early representation of propulsion. That's what a split jerk, a split jerk is gonna, is gonna take the lead leg into early to capture the position. Do you understand that? It's yep. like a step forward. It's just a step forward, mm -hmm. okay? So, but when you step forward, which way is the sacrum facing? Uh, if right leg's forward, it'll be facing left. Perfect. So which way, is, which way is dorsal rostral facing? Left. There you go. So, so she's, or, so, so here's her, here's her safe spot. So she goes, if I push from here, I'm okay. If I push from here, I don't have any more space, Zach. So she says, I push from out here. I feel okay. I'm going to do a split jerk. And there's my orientation when I do my split jerk. You see it? Mm -hmm. So, so she literally gave you the diagnosis of her table tests and in her description of what's going on. Do you understand? That was very nice of her. It was very nice of her. She's very aware. You should, you should commend her for, for being on point. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, but let's, let's not stop here. So by tradition, by tradition. So I have not measured this person, but I can tell you what her measures are going to be. Right. And then you already know what they are. So where do you have to go here? Um, what do you, what do you, what do you have to, in simplest representation, like you don't have to take me through like the entire process. What is the greatest limiting factor right now that if you don't address your toast, like you're not going to get anywhere from just like a specific range of motion standpoint, like, what do you have to, what do you have to reacquire external rotation? Okay. Where, uh, start posterior lower on the right okay. side. She's, on, she's, on she's a wide ISA. Okay. Uh, I, 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 I kind of figured that's what was going to be the case, but um, what you said, posterior lower where? Um, right side, like in the, in the thorax. That, that is, as a simplest explanation, that is, that is the correct answer. Okay. It's rare that there would be one, but that is, that is, she's telling you what she can and cannot do. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. That was cool. All right. Awesome.